Folks, here we are. These are the exciting days. These are the ones that I love because one, I get to meet someone new. They don't know it yet, but they're going to be my friend. It's pretty exciting for me. Two, we got to go over a movie that I hadn't seen before, which is very nice. And then three, we get to cover some dangerous boundaries, which is always my favorite, sex and politics and religion and influence and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, the often copied, never duplicated. Here she is, the irreverent reverend herself, Stephanie Clark, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to be here, Jason. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Let's go ahead and uh, hit play on, uh, on your movie there. Make sure it's on mute, please. It and is. And then as we've got the Warner Brothers telling us about the entertaining world we're going to live in here, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you've got a couple of seminars coming up and uh, you've got a book as well. So give us the skinny on you, please. Skinny. <laughs> okay. So uh, Reverend Stephanie Clark, um, I don't know how skinny skinny is. But <laughs> I'm 62. I've had a lot <laughs> and I've done lots of stuff, but um, what I'm most known for, um, I think, is that I started the first multiracial New Thought ministry in South Africa to heal the wounds of apartheid. Wow. That's, I started that in 2000, and my focus my whole life has been on healing racism and healing sexism. So it seems mm -hmm. like the part of my life was really much more focused on healing racism in South Africa. And sure. now, um, so I did, the, I did the ministry for five years. It was very successful, totally burnt out, and um, decided to change my life and move back to Europe. But... Um, when I was in Europe, I started working on teaching workshops on sex and spirit and uh, then wrote the book, The Sex Goddess in 2018. And The Sex Goddess, it's available on Amazon. It's, uh, the full title is The Sex Goddess, Debunking the Mythology of God and Sex. So what happened was that in 2017, I was asked to speak on God and sex at a, at a major international event in Johannesburg. And I was up on the stage with Reverend Michael Beckwith and Lisa Nichols from The Secret. It was really just a wonderful opportunity. And my theme was God and sex. And at the end of my speech, people rushed to the bookstore to get the book, but the book had not been written. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my clue that the book needed to get written. And in the next year, I, I wrote the book. So the book is very unusual in that it's a uh, very autobiographical. So there's a lot of historical research as well. 
so the, the chapters alternate. So there's the chapter on history, which is the historical research. And then there's a chapter on her story, which is my own autobiographical uh, growth and development in terms of my, my sexuality and my spirituality. Nice. So juicy tidbits that ministers don't normally share <laughs> about about my sexual experiences and how it was growing up in the patriarchy, what I learned about sex and power and politics. Um, and, uh, but what, what the reason I think that I started getting interested in this subject was like, I, I lived in Egypt for a while when I, in 2005, I was, uh, I had a fake marriage to an Egyptian and um, was able to live in Egypt for two months and just really see what goes on in a culture where people are worshiping a male God in a very strict way. Like there's no freedom of speech, et cetera. And women are completely suppressed. I mean, they're just housewives, basically. They're there to cook and clean and, and breed. Um, and so I got to see that when people are worshiping a male God, that that, that power base is reflected on the in the physical experience on the human plane. Um, and so in, in traditional cultures where God is in charge and God is a male, there's not much hope for the women. And I even said to my quasi-husband, um, we were talking, <laughs> no, the, the way it worked in Egypt that I had to that's get. That's going to, by the way, real quick, that's a new show on TLC, The Quasi-Husband. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do, real quick, before we get any deeper, real quick, we're watching Dangerous Beauty. Yeah. 1998, it'd be found on YouTube, pretty much anywhere, yeah. folks. This is a movie that Stephanie picked, and as now, as she's uh, unveiling more about herself and how she got to the book and everything else, it becomes applicable on why this movie was picked by her. And then also when you get done, I want to run a theory by you that I've held on to for uh, 25 years, maybe 27 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see if it holds any water. But please go ahead now. So you're talking to your quasi-husband from your new TLC show. And um, <laughs> <laughs> we were having a conversation about God and quite naturally he used the word he to refer to God. And I said, well, how do you know God is a male? Like maybe God is female. And he said, Stephanie, don't be so stupid. Women have no power. How could a woman be a God? Like, ah, oh, get it. Wow. That's, oh. that's a interesting, irrational leap. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you have no power. I mean, Obviously, none of us are here without women, but you've got no power. <laughs> yeah, very ironic too in, in uh, Egyptian culture that um, men are very, they worship their mothers. They have a lot of respect for their mothers, which is lovely. And that's not always so in Western culture. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the way that they treat their wives, not that they're all wife beaters, not that at all, but it's just a very, for me, archaic relationship dynamic where the man is in control he's entitled to sex and you know all the, the he's entitled to be taken care of he goes out to earn the money the woman stays at home and raises the kids so the woman has a very limited domestic life and the man is out there in the world chatting to the foreigners talking to the women in the you know in the marketplace all the female foreigners that come as tourists to egypt so he has a lot of freedom and the woman seems to have none do you find it, so one of the things that I've, I've held in my 
communication quiver, if you will, one of the arrows is this great guy, Tom Carmody, taught this class, and then I got to participate and be a part of it. And one of the key issues was he goes, first of all, I want you to think about all of the um, groups that are out there that aren't white men. Just think about mm -hmm. them all. Okay, mm -hmm. write, write them down. You write them down. Because now I want you to think about all the horrible names you could call any one of these people in these groups. Now write down, now write them down. And people are getting uncomfortable. Like you're seeing sweat beads. They're like, I don't want to write this down. You know, it's just, because, but it's, it's a process, right? Of what's in your brain. Oh, can you take what's in your brain and put it on paper? Now it's becoming a little more real. Now who's going to say the words? Mm -hmm. And so we get through and everyone's turning in their paper and he's writing it on the chalkboard. <clears throat> everyone's just and for those that don't know a long time ago, kids, there's a thing called the chalkboard. And it had an eraser, and it was all oh, right. manual, right? <laughs> and be like, chalkboard? You mean the Zoom call? No, the chalkboard. <laughs> well done for explaining. <laughs> yeah, right? So he's, he's writing it down, you know, the chalk, and there's dust, and you're seeing it live. And you're like, man, I wrote that word down. And now he wrote that word down. Was I the only one who thought that word? Who else? And he goes, and then he writes down white men. Because now, name one word that carries the same weight mm -hmm. of any of these words over here, if you were to call it to a white male, that he doesn't use amongst, him, amongst his buddies as a, as a piece of, of camaraderie, as a poke in the ribs, as having fun. Mm -hmm. Show me where that exists or doesn't exist. And what the revelation that came to me was, is that one of the reasons why we have sexism and, and, and racism is our whole construct of communication is built off the power that the white male is invulnerable of being brought down. Mm -hmm. Interesting yeah. idea. And, and because of that, now I'm saying, hey, go communicate. Why don't you just talk amongst yourselves? I mean, obviously use my language, use my construct of delivery for sure. But in doing that, please, by all means, I don't understand why there's a problem. You know, and, and then you think about women communicating with women and they're using the construct of, of white males. You know, or, or, or two minorities communicating with one another, but they're not, they're using the construct of, of, of a white male rhetoric. It changes that dynamic and it changes the, uh, what I would consider the ability of, of empathy and understanding. If, if you look at it from that, you go, oh, well, we probably got to do something a little different. I'm not saying you throw out language, but I'm saying we understand language differently. We, we, we use choices differently and then, in understanding and doing that representations of what is God, what is mm -hmm. sex, you know, mm -hmm. what is violence ultimately changes in my humble mm -hmm. opinion. How close am I, Rev? No, for me too. I mean, you've got a fan right here. No, it just language defines reality. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, I remember studying um, the politics of language when I was at university and uh, we talked about uh, man-made language, uh, Australian writer Dale Spender wrote man-made language. Um, and for me, one of the key things is the he and she pronoun talking about God or talking about humanity, like the way he is used to symbolize all of humanity and to, it's meant to include women and clearly doesn't. Um, and how he is typically used to refer to God. Just that, that one small word alone to me <laughs> is uh, it just cuts out half the population of the planet but it also i mean it shows where i think a lot of 
religion and reverence miss. Like I'm a firm believer, you should have a PhD in history and culture before you can go up to up on a pulpit and start preaching the word. Because if you're just reading words out of the Bible without mm. any cultural significance of understanding, like yeah. you know, to your point about Egypt, now they revere their mothers, but men are in charge. Mm -hmm. So of course, when you're writing a book and you're trying to explain something, you're in charge. So the guy who's above you, obviously a guy, because you're the person in charge and why wouldn't the hierarchy be men on men? You know, just come on. This is just how yeah. this shit works, folks. I don't know yeah. why it's so difficult. And, you know, it, but it, 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 the reason it is, is because it's, it's a false narrative. There's, there's no proof either way. It's just the winner wrote history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the winner's done, uh, you know, a pretty good job of, of mucking things up on the sexuality side. You know, I, I always make fun of people who quote the King James Version. I'm like, oh, Bible for dummies. I'm like, how dare you? I was like, it was written because King James wanted to piss off the Pope. And he goes, here's the Bible for dummies. Now everyone can read it. It's <laughs> not accurate. It's not good at all. You know, but, and it hides sexuality and it, and it hides this thing and it, you know another thing i want to run past you here while i'm on my little rant <laughs> i have i have come to the conclusion that i believe in some way and i have pastor friends who are they're biting their nails right now they hate it when i say this christianity was a fertility cult that turned into a religion Okay. And, it was, and it was it was modified by psychedelics dmt mushrooms and, and other psilocybins, uh, often from, you know, like the, the, the seeing of witches, right? Which was the Aragon, the, the corrupted uh, wheat that created a psychedelic effect on people. And they're eating bread and seeing demons. And like, well, shit, Sally's a demon, obviously. Couldn't be Tom. Tom's a nice, he's a guy. Hard to get God. That bitch Sally, though, she's a witch. Get her out of here. Right? And, but I want, I mean, like, at what point do we take religion and at what point do we take knowing some stuff and me obviously hyperbole and alliterating others but at what point do we go hey are we reading the book wrong are we seeing the world through the wrong rose-colored glasses you mean reading the bible is seeing the world through rose-colored glasses well as far as like seeing the bible is like oh yeah but this was written by men for men to talk to right. men that god's a right. man and i'm wondering yeah. i mean I'm not saying you throw the Bible out, but I'm just saying maybe we just change the perspective of, I'm glad Peter and Paul and Mark and Luke all wrote stuff, but mm -hmm. there's an apocrypha of books out there written by women that you all yeah. are ignoring. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, just so grateful for the research I've been able to do and was very surprised to find that so much was available on the internet. It's like, it's not very hard to find the research around the religions that were prevailing before the Bible was written, before the Old Testament came about. Um, and um, so thanks to excavation, archaeological excavation, and thanks to these scrolls showing up, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nakamadi Scrolls, there's so much more input now that conflicts with what we read in the Bible. So when you when you say Bible is rose colored, I think you mean distorted rather than rose colored. When I hear rose colored, yeah, that's I true. Hear, yeah, I hear something wonderful or you know uh, something romantic maybe and not realistic. But 
Oh yeah, and I, I would say rose-colored as far as from a man's perspective who are majority preachers who get a mm. preach down. So they've got this rose-colored view of look how right I am and look how the Bible backs me up and look, this man backed oh. up, this man who backed up. And like, you're just, you're playing into this dumb fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not looking at the true, I would say, role of women in, in yeah. history, but also the role of women in religion. Mm-hmm. That's and true. I wonder, you know, let me ask you this, because I think it, it stems into then sexuality, the power that women have. How come it is in some capacity continually nullified historically across the way? Why is well, that? Yeah, no, I've got to go. Thanks for the open-ended PhD (laughs) dissertation, Jason, and I'll take it from here. (laughs) Exactly. So my my esteemed opinion is that um, that men were very jealous of this power that women have, and originally it was more about the power to create life. Because before men knew that they had a role in in an egg being fertilized, they just thought that women were able to create life out of their own bodies as if by magic. They thought that the blood cells coagulated in the womb and became a, a baby. That's how they saw it originally. And even after the awareness came about that men were were implicated in the whole uh, conception process. Um, Still, there was a, a great respect for women. Not only could they bring about, they could bring life forth from their own bodies, but they could nurture that life. They had the milk to nurture that life. And women were magical in that they could switch the blood on and off, and they didn't die when they bled. So for a man, bleeding usually meant bleeding in some kind of accident or warfare, and he would die from bleeding to death, but women seem to know how to switch the blood on and off at will. Um, so, I mean, very, you know, mythical um, way, perception of women, but still... Just, uh, just guys thinking about this as they're patrolling the flat earth, just, you know, just, <laughs> just I'm embarrassed for men, constantly. <laughs> no, it's okay. It was a very, you know, like limited, limited awareness. I'm talking thousands of years ago. Sure. So that desire to have the power that women have to bring forth life, that was seen as the greatest power on earth. And that's what men wanted to control. That's what they wanted to manage. And for me, that's the whole reason that the Bible was written by men for men. It was all about trying to uh, take control over that life-giving power. And that's why Adam had to be uh the birther of eve you know like adam doesn't have any parts that could give birth so a rib is um suggested as a good a good birthing canal i mean just stupid stuff and people have believed it all along because it is written you know the power of the written word is very convincing so many people um so that so that that's how it for me that's how it all started it was about a shift in the balance of power with men taking trying to take over the power that women have and the only way to to sustain that power is to consistently make the women less than so women became slaves they became prostitutes they became chattels property Um, and for me the whole apart from wanting the power that the women had men wanted to know that their seed was going to inherit their property. So that's why women had to be virgins at marriage. 
um, and ideally they stayed with the, the one husband throughout the duration of the marriage because God forbid that the man would leave his property to the child of another man. You know, that would be the greatest embarrassment, right? <laughs> Even though the guy's already dead, it would still be very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. His tombstone's going to have little marks on it. You, sir, <laughs> not only did you philander, which is A-OK, -okay, but I don't know that that redheaded kid is yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Now you roll over in your grave one more time. What? Where? You know, it's religion and it, it seems like continually religion messes fun, good things up, right? Mm -hmm. Religion mm -hmm. starting, I mean, obviously it started earlier, but I'm just going to pick a date. In the 80s, religion started ruining politics. As soon as you started bringing the religious right in, you know, and you've got a, you've got a group to pander to, they ruin politics. Mm -hmm. They've ruined music saying, oh, I want a warning label here, and it's not, not, not good enough to change the channel. Mm. I want to censor this in some capacity, which I believe puts us in a state of where we are today of censoring and, and you know, downplaying things and not letting people see things versus just embracing our awkwardness, which we are, mm -hmm. we're awkward. We're weird we suits that flop around, we're weird. Yeah. And then yeah. if that's not enough, religion comes in and they're like, hey, the most fun thing two people can do, we're gonna ruin that as well. <laughs> what is it about sex and religion that is so intertwined yet so hated? I mean, they're like the worst and best bed buddies of all time. So, yeah, <laughs> well said, well said. <laughs> Jason, I believe I sent you an email. How do I prepare for this conversation? You said, don't worry, we're just going to chat. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. So I have my own understanding of what went on, um, with, particularly with Christianity. So uh, when, the, when the pagans were um, alive and well, they, they, worshipped, they worshipped fertility. For them, what was important was that the land was fertile, that the mother goddess who controlled the weather and controlled the fertility of the soil and controlled the fertility of the humans, if she was happy, everybody was fertile, everybody was producing babies and everybody was being fed and they were surviving and that was all very good. Sure. And then um, like 5,000 years ago, there was an invasion of some warlike tribes from the Georgia area of Russia, so Northern Europe. And they, they had a male god and they gradually infiltrated amongst the pagans and um, the goddess-keeping people. And they, they began to take over in the heavens. So whereas before the people have worshipped the goddess, she was known to have consorts. They understood that, you know, she had a male companion who would fertilize her. The goddess always gave birth to two. She always gave birth to a female and a male child. How that's, sensible is that? Well, yeah, yeah that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. So gradually, as the, as the male, uh, as the male oriented more warlike cultures took over, the goddess disappeared from power in the heavens and she became the pretty fluffy consort of the male god. And then eventually she disappeared altogether and it was just a male god left in the heavens. So that's when, the, and that's when the total control of the patriarchy uh, came about in, the, in, in society. Mm -hmm. So you asked about religion and sex being bedfellows. 
So the, the, the pagans worshipped sex. They had no problem with it. They understood that it was the cause of, you know, that, that, that they could bring forth life with sex and they celebrated it. So what, what we call orgies in a kind of Christian damning way were mm. celebrations of sexuality and sensuality. I mean, joyful, like having a party and thinking, having sex at the party because sex is lovely, good, pleasurable thing to do. And as an effort quick, to control... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but real quick, is that where that idea of uh, it takes a village to raise a child? Because when you are having multiple partners and you're in that free flowing, you don't actually know who the dad is per se. So it is yeah. very much a community aspect. Would that be, is that fair? Is that an accurate description? Um, I have thought of that connection before, but you might okay. be right about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to take it as a win. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have long answers to your question. I'm no, getting please. You're get, get, get it. I have long questions. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, so women started to become the, the chattel, the property of men. And I talked about men to control women's reproduction. And if a man wants to control a woman's reproduction, he has to have control over who she sleeps with. Mm -hmm. But otherwise there's no control and so and religion so let's see uh, end of the fourth century three, 380 um of the common era that's when christianity was accepted as the official religion of the Roman empire and there was a theologian called augustine who he was the one that developed the idea of original sin and he augustine had a mistress he was born to a Catholic mother and a pagan father in North Africa during the Roman Empire. And he, he um, had a mistress, had a child with this mistress. And he noticed that when he wanted his penis to be hard, it was soft. And when he wanted it to be soft, it was hard. Like he could not control his penis in the way that he could control his arm. And he realized, okay, my penis is obviously controlled by the devil. <laughs> Obviously, right? Bro, that's <laughs> a big leap, but okay, you get on yeah. it there, champ. I would like, yeah. I'd like, you know, this is where this is where you have, uh, you know, the scientists. You know, they, they, you want to replicate that study. Let's replicate <laughs> that a couple of times before the devil owns your dick. All right, which I'm sure is going to be a show on the CW at some time. <laughs> so, and he, the story of Adam and Eve at that point was was a story Bible, but not like the biggest, it's become the biggest story in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, the creation story. It's a, it's a pure myth, but he, 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 he interpreted that story to mean that we as humans were, we had this fundamental weakness and that limited we uh, and sin being mostly referring referring to sex mostly but tempted into all kinds of things drinking smoking whatever um and that temptation into sin is our weakness and it's our downfall and eve you know eve was probably a sex priestess from the ancient goddess religions probably mm -hmm. did you want to just pause and look at the movie for a bit no 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 i'm just now, my daughter is is, is home because her stomach wasn't feeling well so she poked her head out to wave to me so i gave her a little nod that's all Okay. We're all good. Yeah. You weren't giving me the finger. No, no, no. I was just giving her the, the hey, get, get, get back into the room and, and get your homework done. 
<laughs> just, just as we were the scene of the naked man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is, which, listen, honestly, is, is, is brave for, for the movie for the time to have a, a naked man. I mean, generally speaking, right? Male nudity is, 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 is grossly frowned upon in, in any film unless it's hardcore pornography. Otherwise, you don't, you don't show that. That's disgusting. That's true, yeah. And, and they didn't show it here either. It's yeah. only from the waist up that we see this guy and we just see his reactions when his penis is being stroked. Yes. <laughs> his reactions and hers. She's like, well, so this is, this is the, the how things work. Yeah. So it was a miracle, I think. It was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, there is, so, there, so as you're talking about, you know, this, this idea of, of the devil being able to, and I'm obviously simplifying this, the devil being able to influence and, and original sin and, and where this comes from and how original sin really is placed on the, the, the female. It's not, right. you know, who cares that they're a couple? Who cares that they're in the garden together? You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, it, for me, it launched two things in my brain, right? One is, all right, we always have to have someone to blame because you don't mm-hmm. want to take it on the chin. You don't mm-hmm. want to be the person who goes, no, nah, I'm the one who screwed up. So yeah, always have someone to blame, created a, a real good culture of blame, you know, to mm-hmm. this guy blaming his hard penis on, this, on Satan. And then mm-hmm. also instantly creating a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I was above reproach until this lesser person came around me. Now, if you fast yeah. forward that through the Bible, throughout the Bible, that theme is, is, is there all the time. Prevalent. Oh, did yeah. you have a bad friend? Probably why you messed up. You need to have mm-hmm. smarter friends, better friends who only believe like you, who only talk mm-hmm. like me over here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so when, when I talk to people about this, you know, the reason I bring this up is because they're like, oh, you're reaching. I'm like, I don't think I am. I think when the story starts off with blame someone, Create a, create, create a, a, a victim or a person of blame, and then A, run with that blame as far as you can, as hard as you can, yes. it's pretty negligent at some point in time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's negligent enough that, you know, it makes me think about you as a reverend. How hard is it for you to be female, be a reverend, and then also, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, we all are, but you are looked differently upon. Mm-hmm. You're also a sexual object. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you're talking in front, how dare you? You're talking in front of people. And then I can see your, not just your face or hear your voice. I can see your whole body. This is <laughs> nuts. Get her off the stage. I've got a boner that I can't control because of Satan. <laughs> I mean, how, do, how have you, through your career and everything you've done, dealt with that inane, crazy bullshit? Well, uh, I made a decision earlier on that I was going to do my best to bust through the stereotypes about women ministers. So when I was preaching, I always wore a mini skirt or I always showed some cleavage. Never both. That would be smutty, right? But uh, at least one or the other. <laughs> and, um, and I talked about sex deliberately in my sermons. I always tried to bring it in somehow. Um, so I wasn't about to conform to the conventional attitudes towards women ministers. And I actually was very popular. Um, I think it was refreshing to have someone speak openly about the things that people are thinking about most of the time, which is sex, right? Men, sure. men are thinking about it all the time. I had, um, <laughs> I had a client who, um, 
uh, and I just listened to a radio show say, where I heard that men think about sex once every seven seconds. And so I checked it out with him and I, he, he said, yeah, that's true. And, and the, every other six, every, all the six seconds as well. And it's like every second a man's going to have a thought about sex. Okay. Just, that's just how it is. That's the wiring. So, but yeah, people think that a male minister has more authority than a female minister. They feel safer with a male authority. Like if they're going to have a wedding, it's better if the man is marrying them rather than the female. It's this, this whole bias that somehow women spiritual leaders are less weighty, less, less able, less competent, less spiritual, less connected. And I don't believe that's true, of course. So I think in, in my teaching, um, it's known as science of mind, more and more there are female ministers and, and gay, uh, lesbian and gay men ministers as well. So we're a very unusual progressive teaching. We're not at all traditional Christianity, which I could never have been a Christian minister in the traditional sense ever. I mean, I would have been burned at the stake a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I dealt with it by, um, I wouldn't say flaunting my sexuality, but definitely not covering it up and, um, and letting people know that, that it's possible to be a spiritual leader and have sexuality as well. Like at the same time, it's possible. So because of the bias in the church culture that, um, that spirituality and sexuality or God and flesh are two opposing polarities. That's how it's been downloaded to us through the centuries. So that's why we have, Mary, who's the pure virginal mother of God, and Mary Magdalene, who's the, the wicked sinful hooker. It's not, it hasn't been possible for a woman who's spiritual to also be sexual. And also for men too. I mean, men are also excluded in that. It's like somehow the spiritual life is more worthy than the sexual life. Actually, to me, it's one energy. It's one energy yeah. with a different expression. I mean, I, I would think it's one energy. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. It seems like at the launch of the New Testament, men's sexuality was, uh, was diminished, if you will, versus you look at David, you know, he's got, his, he's got his harem, he's got his ladies, but yet he's still, his sexuality just is still not satisfied. And he sees the lady bathing, Bathsheba, and he's like, there's my girl. This is the one I don't have in the harem. Yeah. And the story of, but it's interesting, and, and I bring it up because it depends on what pastor you listen to, right? It's, it is a story of appetite and greed, in my humble opinion. It's not a story of sexuality. It's appetite and greed. Mm -hmm. Yet it's played as, man, if he just wouldn't have seen her bathing naked, yeah. everything would have been okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Guy already had a harem of ladies. Yeah. Had plenty. Yeah. Right? But appetite and greed. And uh -huh. it's lost over it. And I wonder, I bring that up because I wonder, as you read the Bible or, or teach, you know, uh, and as you go through life and you're doing your special classes and seminars, at, at what point is there a, or at what points have you paused? Because it's like you want to just light a stick of dynamite and roll in the room and go, hey, this is the truth. It's going to blow up in front of you. Sorry, mm -hmm. we got to move past this. How has mm -hmm. it taken thousands of years to where people are now understanding, oh, Mary Magdalene wasn't a hooker, you know? Mm -hmm. Why, I mean, outside of my, my language scenario to, to kick off this conversation a little bit, but I'm, I'm asking you, it's just like, 
how frustrating, how often do you get frustrated and you feel like you're repeating yourself maybe a little too much? Like, come on guys, get it. Um, actually, I don't, I don't have that frustration. I, okay. uh, I don't really teach a lot from the Bible because the, the book. But I, mean, I, but, I mean, you kind of teach from it in the fact that it has so much influence is what I mean. Like, not like you're up there reading from the Bible, but you are mm -hmm. teaching from a basis point of essentially a left and a right hand term of two of Abraham's kids of two of the biggest religions, you know, outside of Buddhism, right, in the world that have mm -hmm. Christian mm -hmm. faith. And mm -hmm. so there is always, there is always that peace, right? And in that peace, I wonder where you go, man, a lot. Can we just like, this isn't my doctrine, but everyone in some capacity, not everyone, obviously, but the, the majority is basing their thought of females on sexuality, on work, on, on friends, on one of these two books or Ad Buddhism, this third philosophy, they're all male dominated, male generated, and they all put women down for, forgive me, but for fuck's sakes, folks, can we just? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. One of the reasons I wrote the book and um, the, the way that I focus my spiritual teaching is the words of Jesus actually do articulate the spiritual principles that govern the universe. So that's far more interesting to me I'm more interested in teaching people about um, how to think, how to get clear on or to get aware of negative religious, cultural, social programming and how to change the, 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 um, the line of the teaching is change your thinking, change your life. So Jesus explained to people in parables how the law of cause and effect works. And that's where the body of my teaching is. So, and, and the book that I wrote, yes, it's all about exposing some of those lies in the Bible. I mean, rape is talked about as if that's a normal, natural thing. And um, but these are the things that have to be exposed. And uh, one of the writers that really helped me was Patricia Lynn Riley. She wrote the book called A God Who Looks Like Me and started to, for me, expose some of that stuff. And Karen Armstrong, there's some wonderful female academics who do point out the inconsistencies in the Bible with a, a view of life that's balanced and, um, and healthy. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's very, it's male dominated and, it, and, it, and it's crushed women for the last 5,000 years. So we're angry. And I think the feminist movement was the, finally the pendulum swinging the other way. You know, not, not that the feminist movement did good in all uh, in all, all sides but it it had to happen it was very necessary sure. that we started to come out from under the shackles and just be able to use our voice and uh, and speak to the the suppression the oppression that we've been experiencing you uh you talked about earlier when you're writing your book you know the, the chapter that was historical and a chapter that was more uh, you know about you as the writer and, and mm -hmm. the, the differences if you will and I wonder, you know, for the, for the people that are out there, whether they journal or they want to write a book or, you know, they've got a podcast, whatever it may be, mm. take us down that road of vulnerability of, you know, the hurdles you had to jump in writing about things that happened to you that, that impacted you. What was that like? Um, freeing, actually. Yeah. It was liberating. Yeah, I mean, look, you can hear that I'm a somewhat of a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
I felt like I was pioneering new ground by, as a spiritual teacher, sharing about my sexual development and my sexual experiences. And um, I, it's interesting, it's, it's somehow easier to write for thousands than to share that stuff with my own mother. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I was getting ready to publish the book and I, I asked my mother to read through it. She's a, a really good proofreader. And I had never shared these things with my mother. I'd never shared about boyfriends or sexual experiences. I'd kept all of that very, very private. I didn't want her prying. I didn't want her judging. I didn't want her intervening in any way with my private sexual experiences, my, my intent, my whatever. And so when she read it, she was really in shock. She was, she hardly spoke for the next three days. <laughs> wow. She was so blown away by what she had read. And I think, I mean, I don't know about other people's sexual experiences. They don't always write about them in the way that I did with honesty. But I think because I was so curious about sex that I've really explored and experimented and and um, had sex with men from different cultures. I don't think I've I maybe had one or two English boyfriends, but mostly I've been a traveling person. I've been a free spirit and I've traveled around the world and had boyfriends wherever I've gone. So I've just not only had different lovers but been had different lovers in different cultures as well which adds another dimension to the experience and i'm I mentioned in egypt too so, real, real so quick, uh, finally hold on real quick because that begs the question okay. though right you know and this is obviously a male generated ego centric question but you've traveled you know what mm -hmm. what group what culture do you think tries to understand women the best American. Wow. Hey guys, listen, you don't get a lot of pats on the back, but take this one for whatever it's worth. <laughs> Good job, fellas. <laughs> well, let's say, um, maybe, mm, you know, I studied in, I studied in America. I studied at Agape in Los Angeles for 10 years. And, um, so I believe Americans are on the cutting edge of Western spirituality and that includes sexuality as well so more than i, I just the way i see americans they're just open-minded more so than europeans or africans okay and in that open-mindedness i mean the feminist movement really got going here and um people talk about uh their psychological awareness uh, much more freely and much more easily than in england or europe or, or africa in fact, yeah, when I started my ministry in South Africa, after living in America for 10 years and being very comfortable with people sharing a lot about their inner world, I asked my students to share about their inner world or their inner experiences, and they were terrified. They had never been asked to do that before in South Africa. So very, you know, much more of a closed culture where people don't talk about what's going on. I think that's probably how apartheid was able to survive as long as it did, is that people were very ready to live in denial and not talk about what was really happening. So yeah, so American men for me, I'm, I'm now married to an American as well. American men for me are the most open-minded towards um, change, evaluating old ideas, but that's for me, for me, that's American culture in general. Sure. Sure. It's, uh, you know, you're, you, you brought it up a couple of times and I, and I want to, um, I want to touch on it because it, uh, it keeps 
rearing its head, right? And, you know, you, you worked very hard in South Africa and, 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 and the work that you did down there. And I wonder, understanding the work and how hard you worked there and seeing globally and even here in America, um, what's going on, what is it that, and I'll interject my thought here, outside of treating race relations like a relationship, where like, you know, every couple of months, the mayor of every town brings the leaders in and says, hey guys, gals, how are we doing? And they're like, not good, or you guys are doing great, or you gals are doing great, whatever it may be, but we don't do that, right? We wait for a pop, it pops, we try to quell it, and then we just move on with our lives and we don't treat it like a relationship. And I wonder with your experience, you know, and this podcast hits 12 different countries, whether they're seeing racism like where you see it sometimes in the US, right, with, with riot responses and, and death by police, or whether there is the very violent and aggressive approach to racism that was South Africa for, for, for a while and also America for a while. What is your two messages that you would give people? A message of hope, and then also a message of, of not necessarily caution, but a message of, hey, if the message of hope's gonna resonate, yeah, maybe it's more of a message of work. What would you tell people? Um, what, I'm, what I'm aware of here in America right now is that um, George Floyd gave his life for this, that we now have, thank God, democratic, a democratic president. So George Floyd, to me, was, I can't say a saint, but he made the ultimate sacrifice of his life to bring about awareness of police brutality towards the black community. And then all the others that went before him and all the others that have come since George Floyd, who've also experienced that, but um, it's like he almost, someone had to wake the nation up and George Floyd was the man, you know, God bless him for that. And, and how sad that it has to come to the point where someone loses his life before people start to realize that there's a problem. Um, but Would you seems... not also say how sad of a point it is that we would rather film it than stop it? That's, yeah, also very sick that it, that, that, it, that, that was a piece of it as well. That, but that also had to happen in the way that it did because the police weren't filming themselves <laughs> um, standing by or they weren't filming themselves, you know, with uh, Mr. Chauvin stepping on George Floyd's neck. So it was only because we have technology available to us and people could have, were in a position to film what was happening that it was able then to spread around the world. It couldn't be suppressed. There were other people that had it on their phone and they could spread it on social media. So it's sad that it had to be, that, that it was filmed, but important, critical that it was filmed. Mm -hmm. not, not just in a way where like the, a news agency could have suppressed that film. They couldn't, they couldn't suppress it. It was out there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it and I wonder how much, you know, um, the outrage was, because I, I think about the psychology of it on the back end, right? How much of the outrage was another black man is killed by a cop? Mm -hmm. Where honestly, in this day and age, it should be a man was killed by a cop and we should just be outraged. Mm -hmm. Color of skin, do not. But we're not there. We got to recognize we're not there and we've got to address 
the fact that we have problems and we gotta we gotta address those and, and, and embrace them. But outside of that, I wonder subliminally mm-hmm. how many more people are angry, especially of my generation, uh, you know, early 70s kids, right? 71, 72, 73, right? You're in that early 70s category where you took responsibility for everything. If you were watching your little brother and your little brother burnt the house down, you burnt the house down, right? And there was a problem and you, you know, there was a punishment and there was resolution and there were all of these things, all these hoops you had to jump through. And I wonder watching that being filmed, the idea of people being more upset that it was watched, that it wasn't just the cops doing it because we've seen that happen before. And it wasn't just that the cops were doing it and that we know about it. Mm-hmm. It was that it was, we got it from 10 different camera angles and then new camera angles later on. And I wonder subliminally, cause no one's really addressed this, right? No one's come out and been like, hey, maybe we're pissed and rightfully so because we were so comfortable filming a man being murdered. I see what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't catch the yeah. question properly before. Yeah. How sick is that, that rather than actually stand up and do something that they continue to film? Yeah. In a, yeah. In a culture, in a society where you stand up against wrong and that's generally celebrated, right? If you stand up against wrong and you insert yourself and you're a, you're a freedom fighter and you go in there and you get after it, mm-hmm. man, you are, you are a hero mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. And instead we watched. Mm-hmm. And then not only did we watch, and I mean we as far as the you know, recording, but then we globally watched again and again and again. And I think there's a part of our brains that's fighting that saying, hey, stop watching. Mm-hmm. Stop. Start engaging. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, that, I think that, and I think that speaks above police. Uh, I think that speaks above everything else. And it goes to where I think uh, every minority community should be in fear, which is, oh, you're just gonna videotape this? Mm. Like, oh, good, so I am the martyr that I didn't mm. know I was gonna be today mm. on anything, right? I just didn't know. And now I'm stuck here as the martyr. And I'm just watching you assholes with your phones up. You know, this is, this is the response. I wonder how much of our, you know, for lack of a better term, our monkey brain goes, we need a little more hands-on. That's interesting. I don't know if that question's ever been asked on any kind of widespread level. Well, I can speak anyway. No. <laughs> Pardon me? I said, I'm, I'm open to speaking on it uh, with no education. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, I'm turning that one over to you. You, you have the, the books and the intelligence to run with it any which way but loose. Well, um, so my first thought is how interesting that we, we live in a world of screens and that social media is not real life, but we think it's real life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not defending anybody that films rather than taking action or intervening. But I think I understand that um, it's almost like we'd rather watch life than participate and engage. We've become distant from life. Yeah. Distant, distant from others. And this is screen between, like, even now, you and me, we couldn't even be having this conversation if it wasn't for technology and the screens. 
but it's so funny it, because we do this conversation right now. A lot of people ask me, you didn't, but I'll have a lot of people go, oh, is this video and then audio? I'm like, it's just audio. Yeah. Like, well, why are we doing the video? Because I want to see you. I want mm -hmm. you to see my face. I want you to see when I'm, that I'm engaged. I want you to see that I'm, I'm peeking over at the movie, that I'm listening to you. Mm -hmm. If I can't have you one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, we used to do this podcast. It started off at a bar in downtown Austin, Texas, called Dirty Bills. Mm -hmm. My friend Leslie, who used to run this place and was the owner, she just let us in. Mm -hmm. And it became, and, and Leslie was just like, oh, this is crazy, Jason. It's going to last a month, maybe two. We're good. And, you know, every... Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, you'd be like, hey, I've got a guest. They're coming in. Here we go. Well, she closes the bar at two. You know, clean, count the money, do all this stuff, right? It's 3.30. Well, I'm 10.30 in the morning. I'm chipper as can be. I'm down at the front door. Leslie just went to bed, poor lady, right? So she's like, oh, I just went to bed. I'm texting her, hey, you can open the bar up for me? She's like, yeah, hold on. She's got to get out of her bed, you know, come down, unlock the bar. So it became, it really became a burden on her. And I felt bad about that. So we moved it to another bar where there, the guy who managed the bar was there in the mornings, every morning, cleaning up. He did all his own work. And then it became a thing there. And then COVID happened. And there are people that celebrate this podcast that COVID happened, COVID happened because we do it in a bar. So there's people walking in and out. There's deliveries coming, even though the bar is technically closed. There's mm -hmm. deliveries coming in, you know, I'm Matt, the guy who the GM, I'd be like, Hey Matt, another round of cocktails, you know, and they're, they're like, Hey, your producer sucks. Why are you thirsty? You know, boy, this poor guy, but it was all this personal one-on-one -on -one engagement. That's what I got used to. So I was very happy that zoom and, 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 you know, Skype and other technologies were available for me to still do this because it is about the engagement. It is about seeing someone, right. Mm -hmm. and it is about just be, having seen a smile. You know, as, as silly as that sounds, it really is. And, you know, the, um, as much as we've missed certain parts because of, of what's happened with COVID and some have taken it really seriously and, you know, on the opposite spectrum, right? Some believe it's a, a joke. But then there's, I think, the middle ground people that go, hey, we've got to figure out a balance that allows us to take care of all of us in need and, the still, and at the same time not get other people sick. Mm -hmm. that could really get hurt and you know hindsight being 2020 but you know i don't think it's it was the, i'm not a great i'm not the wisest person in the world but you can look back and be like hey did we forget about drug addicts did we forget about abused women did we forget about kids in, in bad homes did we forget about people who are addicted to to sex did we forget about all of the other ailments that groups and, and, and communities brought together to make sure that they were okay and fed and did things. We forgot about all of them for one thing. And I think once again, it highlights response, right? It highlights weakness it, 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 and not weakness in a bad way, bad way, but weakness in a way of, of determining in, in creating value in, uh, in, in understanding our own moral weaknesses. No one wants to talk about sex or alcohol or drug addiction during COVID. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's actually more prevalent and it really high, like COVID doesn't highlight your weakness, right? COVID is, is a virus that gets you. Tobin jerking off during a meeting, that's an addiction that a lot more guys would like to admit have, mm -hmm. right? They're addicted to not just, the, you know, 
what, however they want to epitomize the female body and, and justify watching, you know, endless hours of pornography, go ahead, justify yourself away. But mm -hmm. you're highlighting a weakness. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I bring this up because I think it comes full circle to your points at the very beginning and in the middle and, and where we're at now, which is, oh, wait, the communication is about control. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, 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 it's about control. It's about me hiding my weaknesses and still controlling you. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? I mean, there's, there's not a lot about, I mean, now we're bringing it up. Oh, drunk driving deaths are down. But in all of these deaths, these are up. You know, women being abused are up. And I put a post up months ago. I was like, who's going to apologize to the women who are still being abused? Who's going to apologize to the kids that aren't being fed and abused? Who's going to apologize to all of these categories, drugs, alcohol, so who's going to apologize? Because mm -hmm. we stopped the country for one thing. In fact, we stopped the world for one thing, but we won't mm -hmm. stop it for these others. Mm -hmm. Why? Oh, wait, those are considered weaknesses. And we don't like to highlight, we don't like to feel weak. And I would mm -hmm. say that, you know, maybe I'm wrong and correct me here and I'm going to turn this over to you because I'm too long winded, but Weakness actually makes you stronger because you know where you're weak and you're willing to work on it. Mm -hmm. Well, what's weakness? Weakness is uh, another word for human vulnerability or human frailty. Yeah. As opposed to being in control, we're all terrified of being vulnerable. So being vulnerable to the virus is one thing. Being vulnerable to addiction is it's something else except that addiction isn't for me addiction isn't weakness it's it's a disease so yeah <laughs> you know it's not but we like, don't treat it that way right we don't treat it that way we treat it like something uh shameful and something that is an indication of not having enough discipline or grit or determination to overcome it and it's really not that at all but uh, it's again it's all about like not really wanting to even take on the possibility that as human beings we're not perfect that we're not god you know we're not in control um and women are typically called the weaker sex and all that's different is that we're physically a little weaker otherwise you know equal but different but uh in the patriarchal setup uh, might is right and yeah. power is in strength and that's, that seems to be what's still governing the planet. How do we, how do we start to, and it sounds weird to say, but how do, how do we start to change that? How do we start to change from might is right to, hey, because I mean, you know, and I'll use this really weird analogy, but if we find out, let's say, um, you know, Trump's leaving the office tomorrow, Mm -hmm. And on his way out, he holds a press conference. And by the way, there's two aliens. There's two alien groups that are coming to destroy America and the world, and they'll be here in in uh, 230 days. I gotta go. And he leaves. Well, now we're not Asia, Africa, UK, America, Canada. We're we're now we're a point. Now we're a people. Now we're joined together. Mm -hmm. But the weird thing is, is I have to use an analogy of the world coming to an end for us to join together. And I wonder, talking to a much smarter person, <laughs> there's got to be another way to bring us together besides end of the world. Oh, shit. 
here come the green men. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Crisis does tend to wake people up and bring them together. And it, uh, that's what has people change in their lives when they hit a personal crisis. That's what usually has them reflect and re-examine and maybe make, make changes. A crisis like death, loss, losing a job, or a, whatever, divorce, all of these things in a personal life create change and then also on a global scale as well creates change. So what I see happening now is that as a result of, um, well, I think the Me Too movement was really profound and is, and the Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. So people who've been dogs, women and uh, people of color are now more and more finding their voice. And that, I think that's where the healing will come. That's where the change is gonna come. Those that seemingly weaker and lower in the hierarchy, as, the, as, the, as we as women and as people of color stand up and start using our voice, that's when the change will happen. That's when the, the system that is so oppressive will start to crumble. It can't, it can't hold with enough people becoming conscious and waking up. No, that makes sense. I wonder um, in, in a podcast that is full of hard left turns, We've seen that, you know, in, in my very long-winded convoluted questions and then your precise answering, which is why you're a professional and, you know, I'm still making my way in the world today. Uh, I, I wonder, in understanding and, and talking on, you know, the, the spiritual world and sexuality and things, how frustrating is it? And what hurdles do you think you have to overcome when you see sexuality portrayed the way it is in TV film? Because it's always, the guy's always perfect. He's just got it. I mean, generally speaking, he's got it. And the lady's like, yeah, this is the best sex I've ever had. This is amazing. I don't know why you haven't been having more sex. And it, it's never the guy, it's, you know, if the woman shows her sexuality, right, or really does something that makes the man happy, it's like, boy, a freak in the sheets, but a lady on the streets, right? And there's always this <laughs> negative thing towards it. Whereas the guy does something awesome. You're like, well, obviously he's the king. Yeah. Of course he knows the, the, the flim flam with the, with the whiz bang on the seesaw with the, with a side bender. Gets him every time. <laughs> oh, I'd like to try that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie. No, just. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously the answer is a little rhetorical, but I think we bring it back to your expertise. Why, um, why are men so afraid of being vulnerable when it comes to sex? We're not good at it, generally speaking, unless we get the guidance of a woman, and then we become good at it, and then we're like, whore. Let me go find a virgin now to marry. I mean, that's been the, the track record. It's been the track, not, not saying it happens every day today, just in most Southern states. But <laughs> I, I throw my digs in and people get so mad. Like I heard that, I heard you making fun of Georgia and I want to let you know it's a respectable place and I love my cousin. Another day, <laughs> they get so mad. Oh, it's cold in the winter, it's hot in the summer, relax. But why, why, you know, the falsification, continual falsification of, of sexuality in, in TV and film where I'm just, because I get annoyed. 
I hear these people talking at the Academy Awards and they're, oh, I just wanted to, like, hey man, you've not normalized sex since the first sex scene. Mm-hmm. Psychopaths, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't throw up the hashtag meat when you can. I'm correct myself. You can throw up the hashtag me too, but you can also objectify sex at the same time. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah, this is just art, but this really happened to me. I get that the two are separate, but I also think there's a position of, of uh, unfortunately or, or fortunately, mass media and TV can educate us better on sex. Definitely. But on disappointments most- on both sides. <laughs> What, but what's the motive? See, again, it's all about, for me, it's about the male control. Yeah. So to educate people better on sex and to grant women um, the right to be sexually more awake and more powerful than men. <laughs> not, not that there's any need for me to, I don't need to be more powerful than men. I, I just mean that it's not about a, a relationship of domination. So where a man is like, you know, the king and a woman, if she's seen to be sexual in her own right, not as a way of even pandering to a man or trying to please a man, just sexual, sensual, like this, like the courtesan in the movie, you know, the men were really drawn to her because of her freedom around her sexuality and her sensuality. Sure. She, she didn't need them. Um, of course, they paid her way in life, but she didn't need them to be who she was. Um, and ah, let me see. Oh, sorry, I just need to collect my thoughts on it a minute. Um, we're talking about the movies and how that, yeah. So to be part of the Me Too movement and still participate in movies where sex is, where women's bodies are objectified, I would just have compassion for the actresses that want to work. I mean, sadly. Yeah. You know, sadly to say, I'm not going to participate in a movie like that. Is that the choice then between eating and not eating? If I if I say no to movies that objectify women's bodies and portray a very, for me, archaic form of sexuality that that uh, diminishes the woman. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's I think it's I think it highlights two things. One, the disconnect of our wallets and our hearts, mm-hmm. and and two, the disconnect of you know, it's funny, they talk about, oh, this is a life imitating art or art imitating life. There's a big Grand Canyon between that. And the mm-hmm. fact that you have to make the statement of being empathetic towards, mm-hmm. towards women that, that, um, that want to eat and are put in a position to where, well, yep, here you go. That shows that it's not life imitating art or art imitating life. In fact, mm-hmm. if you want to show art in, in imitating life or, or vice versa, then show a woman forced to do a sex scene because she wants to eat. Mm-hmm. And then show her having a great time doing it. And, you know, and, and then if, if she says, I mean, I remember the famous thing from Sharon Stone. She was like Michael Douglas in, uh, in, in their cagey, heady, sexy thriller, right? She's like, mm-hmm. oh, Every time we got done with a scene, he acted like he was, you know, the best. And like, I should just be smoking endless cigarettes because he's such a great lover and it's made up and it's bullshit and it was horrible and he's not a good kisser. And she was vilified for that. Like, how dare you speak out against a leading man in Hollywood? Young lady, know your role. Mm-hmm. Versus being celebrated for being honest for yeah. what she wants, right? Yeah. I mean, 
this is this duplicitous weird thing where one-on-one quiet time hey tell me what you want let me make you happy i really want to and then Mm -hmm. there's the out going out doing stuff and whether you listen to and i'm not knocking these podcasts you know whether you listen to two bears you know one cave and they're like yeah man my, my wife last night gave her a great orgasm it's just like okay and listen be happy that you're that you connected and you're a good lover to her for sure be happy but also can we also be happy in the 900 times where you didn't connect and she still comes back and loves you mm-hmm. you know how do you how do you marry that and i know i've really long with a conversation question again i apologize but you know men put so much on sexuality and i don't know how much women put on sexuality because i'm not a woman but in our failures to achieve you all still love us and and come back i think in some way maybe i'm wrong in in noticing how much we try to put emphasis on on our um our prowess in the bedroom for lack of a better term and instead i go man it's okay to be like, oh, that didn't happen for me. But I wonder, you know, because I mean, no offense to the guys out there, but let's be honest, gentlemen. If you were with a woman and let's say six out of 10 times you did not achieve orgasm, would you still be with her? Good question. I mean, I kind of know my fellas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's happening. What makes, mm-hmm. you, what makes y'all different? Oh, wow. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, don't give up my whole book, Jason. Just highlights. 3,000 feet, not two feet. I don't think I even got to cover it in this book, but um, uh, so, so for me, the difference is like with a guy saying, you know, I managed to get my woman off, I, she, I gave her a great orgasm. It's not about the woman, is it? It's about the guy producing. It's yeah. about the guy being the guy and being a great achiever. <laughs> it has nothing to do with relationship as far as I'm concerned because kids who are incested also reach orgasm, you know, sadly. It's like if you touch um, the genitalia in a certain way for a certain period of time, probably orgasm will be reached. Mm-hmm. And I understand for men, they do need more training, that every woman's body is slightly different. For men, you know, they, women don't need as much training to, to be sexual with a man or to please a man, because men are a little, they're not so varied in their responses and that there aren't as many subtleties. Yeah. But for a woman, yeah, men need to be trained and um, they need to be trained how to pleasure us. And for me, it's all about intention. Like, is the guy, trying to prove to himself that he's a great lover and trying to get the woman off just so that he can say, I got her off. Or is he actually intentional about serving the woman and bringing her into a greater state of bliss and expansion than she could reach on her own? That's the difference. Yeah, I like that. But you know what, oddly enough is wanting to please the woman opens up a a very crucial element which is vulnerability right because now i'm not the macho guy now Mm -hmm. i'm subservient right now Uh, i'm now i'm on bended knee because i want to be here because i want 
you. I want mm -hmm. this, but mm -hmm. I don't want a part of you to please me. I want all of me to please you. Mm -hmm. And there's not a rhetoric in culture today outside of that moment that makes that okay. Oh, to be for a man, man to be surrendered yeah. to a woman and to serving her. It's rare. Yeah, no, it, it, it occurs for me for men who are awake and more enlightened in, in a sexual relationship and uh, granting a woman's sovereignty. Uh, there's, I don't, there's an old myth around that um, from the King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I can't remember exactly which night it was, but he was given, um, he was on the search for the Holy Grail and he found a wise woman in the woods and she granted him um, the most, uh, the bride who was the most beautiful woman um, in the day and she was an old hag at night or she was a beautiful woman at night an old hag during the day but that was the woman that he would have to marry so he'd have to choose like whether he wanted her to be beautiful at night or to be beautiful in the day but he couldn't have 24 hours of beauty and what he did was was completely enlightened on the wedding night he asked her what do you want what would be your choice and she said thank you you granted me sovereignty and, and that was the turning point where she could be the beautiful woman, woman to him 24 hours a day wow. because he granted her sovereignty. Because he asked her. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it was, it was about her, right? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Not about him. What, um, what is it like, you know, and, and I don't want you to speak out of school in any way, but just an enlightened insight. Uh, when you see what you've, what you've accomplished, what you've gone through, what you go through every day, you know, the, the wins, the losses and everything in between. What's it like being married to you? What, what's my experience of being married? No, what's it like being married to you? Like if you were to take a step back and be like, just like put the viewfinders on of your, of, of your husband. Oh, okay. Like, oh, what's it like being married to me? I mean, <laughs> there's books, there's, Weird podcasts like mine. There's really smart podcasts that you've done, and I've seen. There's good me. There's all this stuff constantly circulating. There's all these questions about, from racism to sexuality to men and women engaging. I mean, I'm not assuming that you know you and your husband have a have a perfect life, but instead, I'm wondering for everyone who wants to build, like for me, who wants to build a daughter, that is sovereign that is strong, but the only word she's not allowed to say is can't. That's the only word where I go, sorry, unacceptable. We'll work the well, other words out. Well done you, great parenting. That's the really? only one, it's really? the only one, right? Someone, mm -hmm. you don't like something happening and you're at someone else's house, leave. Like, mm -hmm. Get up, walk out, leave. You don't have to go complain to someone, you don't have to go tell a parent, no, 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 just come see me. It's good, we got it, I'm not worried about it at all. So I want to create this kid into mm -hmm. a young woman that has the strength and the perseverance and the power that she, she doesn't, she's not given sovereignty. She has it, she owns it, she drives it. Mm -hmm. but for every other young woman or dad who's got a daughter listening, when we prepare them for that, when we say the only word you're not allowed to use is can't, you come with me with problems, we're gonna fix them together. 
We're going to do things. I'm going to challenge you and push you. I'm going to tell you to tell your friends, today's not a good play day. We're not getting along. Time for you to go home. I'm going to make you do things so that you have confidence in your voice. Mm. All of that said, sounds great. I'm not saying it's not great, but on kind of a funny little twist, what's it like being married to you? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be dinner parties where your husband's like, so Jeff over here, he's a sexist piece of shit. Honey, can we please not poke the bear? And you're just like, well, got my poking stick out. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I have an amazing husband um, in terms of his willingness to grow in relationship. And I mean, I've, I haven't been married very long. So I, I knew when I was 17 that I didn't really want to get married until I was at least 40 because I knew I'd be bored if I was with one person all my life. And I knew I didn't want to have kids either. I knew I had other things to do in my life. So, so I, I wasn't exactly marriage material because um, I've been so independent and I've been a free spirit. I only got married, I met my husband at 61 and we got married a few months later. So I knew this was the one that I was meant to be with. And early on in our relationship before we had even um, really agreed that we were going to be together, he said to me, I want you to call me on it when I'm acting like a stupid male. Like if I'm, if I do anything or say anything around you that's sexist or that puts you down in any way, you must call me on it. I don't want to be that man. And that gained my instant respect for him, that he was willing to make himself vulnerable enough to be taught by me or to be given feedback by me when he wasn't operating as his best self. Um, and we have really, we have wonderful communication and I, I share what my work with him and he, Actually, he read my book, The Sex Goddess. <laughs> that's, that's how he got to know me. We met in Egypt last year. And um, I had the book with me when we first met and started talking. And I showed it to him and then he ordered it and started reading it. And when he read it, the opening pages were something like, um, you know, that I'm now I'm an independent person. I don't need a man. I can operate in this life without a man and I can be perfectly happy. Um, so. I thank God in all the years of recovery, I'm not codependent like I used to be. I don't, I don't have neediness anymore like I used to have. I'm much more mature and I think I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm better marriage material than I've ever been because I've, I'm not um, requiring or needing him to save me, rescue me, fix me. It's not necessary. And women typically are raised to believe, not your daughter, of course, and not the daughters of the men who are more enlightened, but you know, what's wrong with me and who's gonna fix it or who's gonna rescue me? That's how we come into life. And that was, that was my question, my two questions all along for many, many years. What's wrong with me and who's gonna fix it? That's why my daughter was a vampire killer and not a mm -hmm. princess. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing wrong with you. There's no one that needs to come rescue and fix you. In mm -hmm. fact, you can go rescue and fix what you want to. Mm -hmm. It's crucial. Mm -hmm. You know, people, as soon as they hear the word sexuality, they, um, they diminish it to the act of sex versus 
the classification of, of you know male and female and, and transgender and everything in between, right? Everything in between, yeah. Mm -hmm. They they instantly go, well, that's sexuality, that's sex. We we remove kids from it, and I would say, no, understand your sexuality and that you're a young woman, and understand that you're growing up, and understand that your dad is from Montana and he's a little crazy sometimes. And if someone says something, you know, cross to you, don't worry, I'll fix it. And I want to be there when she's seven to fix it. Mm -hmm. But when the first words out of her mouth, when she says can't and she gets in trouble, it's also trying to build that level of confidence and understanding and, and navigation that says I can still do it. You know, she's at home today. She's in another room right now. Mm -hmm. She's doing her homework. She's popped out a couple times to let me know that she's done a piece. I'm like, well, I'm going to review it. I'm just, I'm going to review it. It's going to happen. Don't worry about it. But I also, how many seven-year-olds will go into a room by themselves and do all of their homework for the day? I want her to do it because I'm not going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Right? And I think it's... Uh, it's it's horrible when people you know do stuff for their kids to do it to get it out of the way. No man, it's yeah. good. Struggle is good. I, you know, listening to your story and then me. I mean, I got married when I was thirty nine or forty, right? Mm -hmm. Thirty nine. We got yeah, we got engaged, and then right before forty, we were married. And uh, one of the cool things was that I was older. I'm still a crazy person. Right? I mean, I'm still like, my brain is just broken. I'm this entrepreneur, ADHD. I mean, who else thinks of putting a movie on mute and talking over it and think it'd be fun? Crazy people. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, and I'll have a couple beers doing, it'll be great. Just gonna, but I'm going to meet people and then we're just going to chat. And it's going to work. And everyone's like, no one's going to chat with you who's never met you for two hours. You're a psychopath. I'm like, fine, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but the thought of that is so small compared to the thought of, oh wait, there's all these other dads and little people around. And in all this world of dads and little people around, think crazy, be crazy, do crazy, that's positive for your kids. It's, you know, especially for the young women. Don't, I mean, not that you have to neglect the young guys in the world, but seriously, you've got, you've got some stuff planned out for you. You're good, you're skating pretty easy, right? But, she's got to have and should have the confidence to walk up to a principal and say, Hey, the confidence to walk into any room and just start talking the yeah. confidence to, to be herself, to know that if some guy walks up and says something dumb or is, you know, playing that I'm going to say something negative and then something positive to get her to like me. Well, no, mm -hmm. you're manipulating and you're being an asshole. You're not, why are you getting someone to like you? Either they like you for who you are or they don't. They like you when you're vulnerable and you're crying and you're broken. And they like yeah. you when you've gotten a promotion. If they don't like you for both, then they don't like you, right? That's right. But if men aren't vulnerable enough, like I sit down with her. I'd love your insight on this, actually. So I sit down with her and I ask her how I'm doing. The only relationship my daughter has not chosen is, well, there's two, right? The one with her mother and the one with me. Mm -hmm. She hasn't chosen those. She's stuck. So probably 17, 18, right? And then these days, right, they're staying in the house till they're 30. So I'm, I'm, now I'm stuck. But there's a time where she's stuck. And so we talk about this. And I go, hey, how am I doing? How am I doing? You know, I, I have a tendency to be, I'm a little, I'm a lot, little, I'm a lot Irish. Mm -hmm. Tempered, get up there, raise my voice. 
and she'll tell me I don't like it. Mm. Well, it's one thing for a kid to tell you, to have the power and the insight to tell you. It's mm -hmm. another thing that after they tell you, you fuck up and you do it again. Mm -hmm. You're going to apologize and hug and give them a kiss and hold them. And be like, I'm sorry. You know what? I raised my voice. I apologize. But then as an adult, you have to go into your room. <laughs> you got to lay your head down on that pillow. And you got to think, why? Mm -hmm. What triggered that? Then yeah. Why? And then look at that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, what triggered it and why? Because mm -hmm. do you want to deal with that disappointment? Again, and more importantly, do you want to set a standard of disappointment that they live with? Because mm -hmm. that's going to that's gonna elevate and, uh, and, and change how she relates and, and or does not relate with people down the road. You know, um, I, I love hearing this. I really love hearing this, how you make yourself vulnerable with your daughter and ask her how you're doing as a, as a male and as a, as a parent. I think that's so beautiful to hear. I also hear like a demand on yourself to get it right perfectly every time. Like after she's told you that you're angry and she doesn't like it, then you're not allowed to be angry. And that's not really true. And it's not really realistic because you will get angry again. Something will trigger you out of left field that you didn't even know was coming and you'll trip and sure. you'll be there. And, and so what helps is the empathy. So you've, um, you've had a, an outrage, you've had some outrage and she's, you've checked it out with her. She's scared. She doesn't like it. So then you talk and you, and you give her empathy for what she's been going through and then you get over it and you get closer and, and it could still happen again. But mm -hmm. every, every breakdown if that's seen as an opportunity for greater intimacy and greater connection hallelujah because we're human we're going to have breakdowns we're never going to get it right we're always going to be screwing up and with the people we love the most <laughs> they're the ones that have to take the the harshest whatever the anger the whatever yeah the brokenness the painful stuff yeah the crazy yeah. stuff yeah 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 so if she, if she knows she's safe with you that because apologies sometimes they don't go very far do they i mean okay i'm you feel that the remorse in the moment i'm really sorry that i got angry around you and i'm sorry that that anger had you be scared and then you go away and you reflect and you you have some further remorse that you did that in front of a vulnerable child and all of that so that self-recrimination doesn't go very far either. That's probably going to have you do it right over again. But to actually be with her in the presence. I remember I, I did some training with Marshall Rosenberg, who, stud, who was a teacher in nonviolent communication. And he talked about the uh, Swedish prison system, which is very a very enlightened, advanced prison system, mm -hmm. and where they did uh, compassion experiments and one of the men in the prison, I think he was a, he got a life sentence for um, abusing and raping young girls. And he was very down on himself. He told himself every day he was a piece of shit and that he was, didn't deserve to live. And nah, 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 nah. it was easier for him to give himself a message of self-hatred on a constant basis than it was to face one of the girls that he'd raped. And so what the, in the prison system, they did an experiment. They brought in one of the little girls that he had raped and 
he had to listen while she shared with him how terrified she was, how much it had hurt her, how, how I don't know if a little girl could use the word violated, but she, the, with her little girl language, she got to share how terrified she was. That he didn't want to hear that. It was easier to, to be in the cycle of recrimination in his own head than to actually listen to the pain that had been triggered by his actions that were out of alignment with with truth or love or kindness. Uh, that's that's a, I mean that's that's great insight. It's it's so true because it's it's easy to beat yourself up, right? Because you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know the soft punches to throw yourself, right? Ah, you're bad. Goodness, mm -hmm. I can't believe you did that again, you dummy. God, da da da. Do you want to sit down though and talk to the person you offended or pissed off? Mm -hmm. Do you want to sit down and talk to the person you hurt? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's the that's where it's you know. And I'll bring it back to that point I made at the beginning to kick this off. Is it's the relationship she didn't choose. She didn't look down from heaven. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's the guy. That's the guy I want. Right. She didn't. And that's well, okay. <laughs> it doesn't look like that. It looks yeah. like relationship with parents and relatives is not chosen. But in my own particular philosophy, I do believe that we choose. I mean, I, I think that I think as soon as you are old enough to, you do right. I think you choose to be a part of it. I think you choose to be engaged. But I think there's a couple of years there where you didn't choose to be there. You didn't, you know, you didn't choose for her dad to wake up at five a.m. and go play basketball. You didn't choose for you know, whatever choices dad made around you, right? So I think it does come to reflection and, you know, I, I think it's easy, here's the cop-out, right? And I'll be very vulnerable here and honest. The cop-out is that I'll do that with my daughter every day and twice on Tuesday. How did I do? How am I better? How am I worse? What can we do differently? However, and here's the shitty thing, I won't do it with my wife. Not that I won't do it. I just don't think about it that way. Because mm. mm -hmm. she chose to marry this crazy person. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that vulnerability for me is caught up on the word choice. Um, oh, this person didn't choose to be in a relationship with me. So I'm going to be more vulnerable to be better. My wife chose this. She knew uh. who I was. Uh -huh. I don't have to create that same vulnerable communication. Not saying that I don't try to, but just saying that I don't do it as regularly because that American idea of choice. Uh -huh. You know, going back to bringing it full circle, back to my thought process of if you want to teach about religion, you better understand culture, you better understand history, you better understand, I mean, like you got to understand these things to know. And I look at culture. And I look at where I'm from, right? And I look at, you know, all those fun things. And I go, wow. As enlightened as I can be with my daughter, I can still be a fucking caveman with my wife. Sometimes. It sounds like um, the word choice is what lets you off the hook. Yeah. From that, that deeper vulnerable. Because, you know, your wife can hurt you far more than your kid. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Your wife she can hurt you sexually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's got the dirt on me all day long. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, and, and let me wrap this, let me wrap it into this. You know, you, you hear me talk about these things and then 
you, you've given some great insight and, and feedback and I, and I appreciate it. And I wonder for people who are listening, you have some, uh, some seminars coming up. What, as a, a male or a female, as a couple, as parents and non-parents, what can they expect when they sign up for your seminars? What, do, what do, you know, I mean, obviously this is like a, almost two hours of conversation we're gonna have here. They can take diligent notes and they cut out my questions. It's gonna be about 45 minutes, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, for looking for real professional insights and, and what goes on, you know, and, and you've been doing, you've got a lot of these set up here and we'll have some links in, in all the appropriate spots, but what, you know, when we're doing that, what does that look like? When they sign up for one of your seminars? Well, the, um, yeah, this, the seminar that's coming up that I'd love to just talk about for a bit is um, coming up on the 14th of November and it's called Soul Mating, Attracting Your Ideal Partner Using Law of Attraction. So that's one of the things that I've been teaching for over 30 years is how the law of attraction works and it works on our thought and our emotions. So the, the seminar coming up on Saturday is for single women who are a little bit older, maybe 35, 40, maybe they've been married before, maybe they're single and they're, they're women who would like to be with their spiritual and sexual soulmate. So a part of my approach is to just examine with people like what is what stopped you up till now and they often think well you know i'm i'm overweight or i'm you know i'm not intelligent enough i'm not tall enough my breasts aren't big enough women have a lot of self-critiquing going on and they think that their their physicality or their personality is the reason for not being with the love of their life and the way that i look at it it's all about it's conditioning based on the bible that says we're, we're less than, we're inferior, that we need a man to legitimize us through marriage and that we've been trained to think in a subservient way and we've been trained to think that we don't have choices. Basically the opposite of how you're raising your daughter. But a woman of 35 plus has been raised usually by parents who aren't as awake as you are. And so they've got a lot of false beliefs that are determining their experience in reality and that's how I work. So I'm looking always at what's going on in my conditioning that's creating circumstances that I'm not enjoying. And then once I've, once I've gotten the problem located where it really belongs, which is within me, no, it's not out, out, out there or you know, some women believe all the good men are taken. That's not true. If, if I believe all the good men are taken, that will be my experience of reality. Sure. So we, we have to look at what we're what we're manifesting based on our false beliefs or our limited beliefs. And another part of the um, training is about getting in touch with our sacred feminine self, not the, not the um, inferior feminine image that we've been fed. So um, I'll be working with women to uncover the inner goddess and also to learn how to use language that, that describes a new reality. Because as we, as we mentioned in the beginning, language does define reality. So learning to use new words and write, write differently and speak differently about who I am and what I'm wanting creates a shift in our experience as well. I like that. That's, you know, it's, I like what you, you're really talking about, you know, understanding your inner self and who you are and not blaming other things and really, you know, uh, owning 
yourself, right? And and, mm -hmm. and understanding, yeah, you don't have to. Uh, not everything that happened to you in your life is, is is your fault in any way, shape, or form. But owning yourself and where you're at today mm -hmm. allows you to own your movements forward. That's right. Right. Yeah. Versus placing blame or mm -hmm. or holding on to legacy that doesn't allow you to move forward because you're holding on to those things. I, mean, I was talking to a group of friends and we have a mutual friend and I, and I brought something up that had happened to her uh, you know, 20, 27, 28 years ago. And I was a friend that helped her through it. Mm -hmm. And these ladies rolled their eyes. And I was like, why are you rolling your eyes? This is, the, this is a, a year and a half ago. This is the Me Too movement at its peak. So like, oh, they go, she still brings it up every time she has too many glasses of wine. And it's just, it's like, it's her benchmark for why she is who she is today. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, I mean, I don't, I would want her to grow from that and be better and have kids that it's like, hey, it's not about that this happened to me because things are going to happen to you. But it's about how I moved past it. Not necessarily forgetting. And I think there's a big difference there, right? I think a lot of people go, oh, you want me to forget? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I want you to figure out how to move past it in a way where you can educate people on how you move past it, on why mm -hmm. you move past it, and how mm -hmm. you still don't forget, but it doesn't hold power over you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's the key thing, that it doesn't hold power anymore, that it doesn't occupy space in my mind. I, I heard a story about a woman who was uh, raped in a parking lot and was able to forgive the rapist and and really walk free um and she said when when she was asked why why she was able to or how could she do that i mean it was traumatic obviously it always is if a woman is raped it's never it's never going to be an easy experience and she said i gave that man 20 minutes of my life while he raped me i wasn't willing to give him one more minute Ooh. wow <laughs> power <laughs> wow that is you know that's i mean one powerful statement two mentally to to not only be that have that powerful of a statement a but mm -hmm. then b actually do it mm -hmm. Live it. i don't yeah. care male or female it doesn't i mean good for you amazing mm -hmm. Whew, that is mm. Man, That's freedom. Yeah. Where do you in, in the work that you do and everyone that you help out, you know, and whether it's it's, it's books or, or seminars or, or, or interviews when, when you're talking with people. Yeah, I kind of coach too and I do counseling. Yeah, so I do coaching and counseling as well. What are, you know, in all the stuff that you do, where, um, where do you take a step back and go, and one, recognize where you've been, and then two, where you are, and then three, where you want to be. How do you navigate those waters? Um, oh, that's a really lovely question. You know, I, I, I'm really happy with where I am right now. It's beautiful to say that. I'm really content in my life, and I never thought I would be. And I don't think it's because I'm happily married. That's part of it, for sure, but it's just... Like if my husband had to leave tomorrow for any reason, I wouldn't be completely crushed. I would miss sure. him, of course, but it wouldn't be the end of my life. Um, yeah, I, I was raised in a, 
a classic dysfunctional household with a drunken dad who was beating up on my mother. So that's where I come from, drunkenness and violence. And, oh, we're in the uh, paddle in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my dad was an Eastern Montana cowboy that would, oh, thank you, darling. Yes, you can. It's frozen, but yes, you can. Can I say hi to your lovely yes. daughter? Hey, come here, come here, come here. Miss Stephanie wants to say hi to you. Can you say hello? Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Your dad's said, been saying wonderful things about you. She said, nice to meet you. You want to say nice to meet you as well? Nice to meet you. <laughs> what's your name? Yes, what's your name was? My name's Harper. Harper. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Hi, Harper. She is, uh, she's, a, she's a rock star. She keeps me. It's funny, you, you bring that up, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I, uh, I dance with this a little bit, right? Uh, in, in my own personal life. Um, my dad, not my dad who helped make me, but the first of many divorces, but the first divorce after, the first guy after was this Eastern Montana cowboy. You know, and everyone loved him because he was, I mean, listen, man, this guy was, he was a charismatic wheeler and dealer and he was making business happen and everyone liked him. Mm -hmm. But he also liked the wobbly pops a little too much. He also liked the whiskey ditch a little too much. He also liked because I was a soft kid and I was emotional and he was a hardened person from his upbringing. Uh, he would like to wake me up and see how fast my reflexes were. You know, how do you have such fast reflexes and you're such a pussy and you won't box? You know, how do you have such, how are you so strong and have such quick reflexes? You're such mm -hmm. a pussy and you won't fight, fight me. You know, and, and you know, so I, I talk to people about it and then I'll sit here and I'll have a couple of beers, right? And they'll be like, well, how do you, and I was like, well, one, I don't, I don't, I don't assert or give alcohol the control that it took over from him. I don't, Just mm -hmm. won't. I won't do it. Two, I've given it up and taken it and given it up multiple times for longer than a year and not cared and not wanted it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then three, it's, it hasn't had a negative impact on relationships for me, right? Mm -hmm. It just hasn't. In fact, yeah. I'm a happy person. I have a couple of beers. I'm happy. Like I want to talk, I want to talk nonsense. Like you give me two more beers, Stephanie, we're not getting off this call for three hours, right? I mean, we're just, we're having fun. We're talking about everything under the sun and we could disagree with everything. And I would not want to argue with you. I would think it was fun. And I would like the fact that on paper we probably shouldn't be friends and we're talking about stuff that we shouldn't talk about and we're disagreeing which means we should argue and instead i'm embracing it and i love it because i think it's important to i think it's important to talk to people that are way different than you that have different insights than you and and there's sometimes there's a social lubricant to it sometimes there's not but you know living in with a mom that was a little ride of the sheriff of Nottingham, who was assembly of God, banging the tambourine, hitting the triangle, speaking in tongues, casting out demons, just running by people, down the go, you know, down the road we go. You got, you've got, I mean, talk about the right and the left. I've got that on one side and I've got, you know, an abusive alcoholic on the other side. And then it's like, huh, how are you gonna live? Down mm. the fucking middle is how I'm gonna live because <laughs> I've seen both sides and they're awful. Like they're mm -hmm. not fun. Fanatic, yeah. They're they're fanatic and they're yeah. aggressive in a, in a in a way that is 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 so 
it's so unhealthy. Hard. What's that? I'm sorry. Unhealthy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and very unhealthy, right? It leads to I think a a a, a, a multitude of unhealthy attitudes and and, and uh, responses, if you will, to things. But you know, I, I'm sorry to derail what, what you're talking about with your family, but I, but I think it's interesting because we do paddle in the same boat in, in that way, which is it's interesting because then you know we're at the end of our conversation here, and you bring this up, and I'm like, oh we just kind of kicked it off from the moment we started the zoom and just had this fun conversation. We just kind of kicked up. Now there, there's an interesting reason why, right? Now we get that we didn't talk about an emails. Oh, was, was your dad? I mean, like, who, first of all, who writes this in an email? Hey, was your dad an alcoholic and like the shit out of you? If so, check box. Yes. And we're going to have a topic to talk about like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's like, hey, do you believe in the empowerment of women starting at children when they're less than a year old, making sure they don't ever use the word can't? No, because <laughs> people aren't weirdos, right? These are the conversations, these are things that come up. But in that, you know, um, in those things that did come, that, that have come up in this, um, it, uh, it gives me great hope, right? It gives me great hope that there are teachers like you out there that... Mm-hmm request from what it seems like for me, and I'd like you to dive deeper on this, that request vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's the only way, it's the only way. I mean, just staying with our masks on or trying to put up a good front to protect ourselves is, I mean, people do it, of course we do it. We've been trained to do it, but, um, and there's maybe there's a place for that in society, but not in our intimate relationships just can't work to grow the relationship. The relationship will eventually die if, if the masks never come off. Is it and when we're hurt. You, is it weird for you to think about what you do, who you are as a, as, a, as, a, as a teacher, as a leader, as a woman, who you are and what you do, all of the above, 200 years ago, maybe 300, but let's go 200. Mm. Uh, you would have been burned at the stake. Does that does that does that ever jump into your head? Like all the time, oh, all the time. I believe I have cellular memory. Yeah. Of. But you don't have good cellular memory because you're running forward. Like your cellular memory should be telling you not to talk about this, not to write the book, not to teach this way, not to do it. Like fear the monkey, fear the snake, fear the mm-hmm. flying bat, and instead yeah. you're like grab the bat by the wings and fly through the air. It's amazing. Yeah, look, at, look I told you I'm 62, so I wasn't doing this. I became a minister when I was 40. Um, and I guess I've always been, I think, well, I was, I'm a recovering alky, so, you know, under the influence of alcohol, I was obviously very outspoken. <laughs> People sure. do tend to say more. When, um, and now... You know, it's funny you ask me this, but I'm just used to being with me. I'm used to being Stephanie and I'm used to being the person I am, which is, I know, not very typical. I know I'm quite an unusual person in what I believe and what I speak about. And I am a leader. That's, you know, I'm a leader. And I think leaders just articulate things that the masses haven't yet learned to articulate. And that's what I believe I chose coming into this life. I chose to be someone who would uh, help to create more conscious awareness around subjects that are very taboo and very scary to talk about, which is typically God and sex and death. 
and those are my favorite subjects. So the juiciest, sex being the very favorite. <laughs> and the, the most. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do, you, um, do you ever take a moment and think, uh, just pause, whether it's meditation or whatever, and go, yeah, I'm Stephanie. Yeah, this is the life I'm doing. But wow, there's a Harper I just talked to. There's another little girl, little boy I just talked to, and I'm paving the way for them. Do you think about that? I haven't. And thank you for... Thank you for asking that question. I was very touched when I heard uh, Kamala Harris say on Saturday at the Address to the Nation that she was the first woman in that position of being elected as vice president, but she wouldn't be the last. And the the cameraman was, or camera person, I shouldn't say man, the camera person was um, zoning in on the little girls in the audience that were listening to her like three-year-old four-year-old girls and i just i was crying my eyes out i thought thank you goddess that the there are young girls hearing this and witnessing that a woman could be vice president and possibly even president that's wonderful but it's interesting i don't think of myself as a role model for for younger women but you're doing a bigger thing than her i mean you're trying to change in a positive way, the way we communicate, mm -hmm. the way we see sexuality, the way mm -hmm. in your past work we've seen racism. Mm -hmm. That's bigger than, I mean, and no offense to Kamal Harris, I don't mean this is, is, is in a dig in any way, but that's bigger than a title. Blazing a trail is bigger than a title. A farmer is a title. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean they work, right? Obviously, because I've done it, farmers hire kids to buck bales. They didn't buck, they didn't use the two hooks and lift up those 100-pound bales and put them onto the back of a trailer. Someone else did. Someone else actually took the blaze trail and then took the remnants of that blaze trail and then put that on the back of a truck so people could eat. The farmer didn't do any of that. The farmer owns the land. Mm -hmm. And I think there is, and, and I, I say this only because we haven't seen what Kamala's going to do, right? We haven't seen how she's, what she's going to do. So it's, I'm not trying to discount her, her role in any way, but I'm saying a title is one thing, action is another thing. And sure. unfortunately, we've rested a lot on titles because we yeah. like titles. Titles are cool, man. I've got the little thing on my desk and it's brown and it's gold and it's got the embossed letters that say this and that's my title i've got Isn't it on the it door something? right slide it in on the door here it is ceo founder head talker whatever dumb thing you want to put but what did you do with the title here's the cool thing stephanie you don't have vice president of the united states title but you've been doing a lot more work in the areas that you're passionate about working on and driving forward to ensure that a title doesn't matter that action matters. It really doesn't, yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm not trying, once again, I'm not minimizing her achievement in any way. I'm just saying, if you just rest on the title, then all the work you've done doesn't matter. Because someone still, guess what? Someone still, had to, someone still had to blaze that trail. I, I think it's very cool what she has rallied women to do what she's rallied men to do i think it's very very cool however mm -hmm. in that world of of doing stuff and, and and making that happen 
the reality is, is that there are some women in the past who have done stuff without a title that have been amazing. And there have been some women in the past who have done stuff with a title that have been amazing. Mm -hmm. When can we, or when should we maybe more appropriately remove the title and just go, yeah, that's the way we go male or female, right? Mm -hmm. and, I mean, obviously we're not there yet. I don't think we're gonna be there for a while, but your right. actions, your insights, I just, I mean, I, I bring it up because it, it is not lost on me in any way that, and one of the reasons why I like doing these conversations, especially with, with women that have accomplished so much as, as you know, as, as what you've done is this, I got a daughter, man, I got a kid. Got a crazy kid right there over my shoulder, right? Just poking her head in. She'd be doing her homework. She's like, this is interesting to me. <laughs> I have this crazy kid. And I need that energy to go somewhere. And if it's going to go to rescue me, I'm a princess. Or it's going to go to me, I'm a vampire slayer. I dress, black's my favorite color. I don't care what people think. I want to do what I want to do. Right? I want to go out there and tackle the world. Well, mm -hmm. if it's just people with titles... It's just me then talking to her. Well, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's dumb. Mm -hmm. It's women like you out there. You know, my other friend, Reverend Sarah Heath. She uh, she's a Presbyterian minister. Mm -hmm. She said, "I won't give away Sarah's age. God bless her. She's a beautiful young woman. She's great. You know, and she struggles with the fact that she's single. She runs a church. She's a minister. She's seen on stage. Right? The sexuality component, which we, which we talked about." Mm -hmm. Guess what? My daughter talks to her. You know why? She's in a controversial job, busting her butt, doing more than she should ever have to do. That she's doing more work than men ever have ever done in that position. She's killing it. Yeah. yeah. And my daughter needs to see that. Not the title, the mm -hmm. work, the effort, yeah. the compassion, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. things that you do and that you've brought up on this podcast and that Rev Sarah does that she's brought up and talked to me about that, that scene. All of those things. The reality is, the very, very simple reality is, is that I can't touch those because I haven't experienced as you've experienced and I, and I never will. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen or experienced the, the cat calling or the emails, you know, that I know you've gotten that I know Rev Sarah gets, right? Where it's just like, hey, I've got an idea. Once you tape those tits down and shut up, you're, you shouldn't be leading men. <laughs> Whoa, champ. <sighs> You know, and, and my response is a very male response. Hey, just forward that email to me. I'll find the person. I've got some hacker friends. I'll go kick the shit out of them. Yeah. They don't need to get the shit kicked out of them. They need more Stephanie's. They need more Rev Sarah's. They need Harper's. They need women to just keep lining up going, it's not about me taking the abuse. It's about me giving the love and the insight and the knowledge that obviously you need, you silly SOB. Mm, just unenlightened, yeah. No, it happened yeah. the other day. I was on a podcast um, with a friend of mine. It's a regular thing I do on a Thursday now. And uh, she loves uh, this, this theme. She calls me the sex goddess. <laughs> which is, you know. Yeah, does your husband have a shirt that says I'm married to the sex goddess? <laughs> no, but I think there are a number of men who are jealous of him. <laughs> I think there are too. I think there's a lot. There's a lot of people who are like, hmm. <laughs> How do, dear Stephanie, how do I find my sex goddess? Well, starts by not referring to them as sex goddesses. However, sir, let me help you. 
<laughs> anyway, we were, she's obviously wanting to bring more traffic to the site and encouraging people to listen in and ask questions and make comments. And so the one guy, I think we've been doing this now for maybe about two months and this guy says, his comment was, she's, she saw someone writing a comment and she read it. She says, the guy says, nice tits. And he was talking about my friend who was hosting the podcast. And like, that's not what we were about. We're not doing porn. We're talking about these issues of relationship and sexuality and demythologizing the biblical approach to sexuality, all of that stuff. That's what we're up to. But somehow the word sex just attracts all kinds of different people. <laughs> not all of them really interested in waking up around sexuality some of them really very stuck in the old ways of looking at women and and i paused and it was almost like i was in disbelief that someone would come onto the podcast and make such a crass comment like that i couldn't believe that it had happened and i watched my friend she also did a double take like did i just read that right you know we couldn't yeah. believe both of us and she did she did something so wonderful she said thanks for the compliment and then we moved on and i thought that was quite masterful how she handled it we didn't really address the sickness that was going on behind the comment or the offensiveness that was going on we just she just let it let it ride and we moved on with our conversation i still am not sure if i could have or would have handled it any differently i was quite happy for her to take the lead as the host of the podcast and determine the direction we were going to go with that i guess we, we could have, if she had chosen it we could have stopped and maybe addressed it more thoroughly um but is that just not a guy trying to get attention trying to get your attention in the most once again that that dating game i'm going to say something negative or say something controversial or or something hyper imposed that allows me my attention that I think I deserve over to intelligent women talking so I can get my attention again. Like, is that not the, just the monkey side of him? Just like, oh, 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 man, 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 man needs attention now. Nice tips. Like, Thanks. I don't know, fella. I mean, yeah, I was just surprised that we attracted that kind of consciousness to the podcast. And yeah. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because people. But also, the, are you kind of happy that he showed up because he might learn something? Maybe. Am I being maybe. a little? Maybe. Little lottery maybe. winning esque. You're like, well, not everyone wins the lottery. <laughs> he showed up. I don't know that he stuck around. <laughs> That's true too. I don't know if he hung on after he didn't get you know mega attention from us. Yeah, that's it's but, interesting. Uh, yeah. Just, it's going to happen and people, um, you know, when they hear me talk on podcasts, I suddenly, after every podcast, I get a lot of friend requests on Facebook from men who have no friends in common with me. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, so folks, listen, here's the deal. For sure, follow Stephanie on Facebook. For sure, go subscribe to her newsletter. 100% follow her on Twitter, anywhere else she is on social media. Follow. It's not the friend request and then actually try to learn something. Just my 10 cents for whatever it's worth. Thank you. Stephanie, as, as the movies come to the end, two things I want to talk about real quick, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, I want you to tell people where they can find if they want to go. One, they can learn more about you. A, B, 
the link. I know you're going to email me the link to your uh, to your seminars. I've also I've got the, the Facebook group link as well that I'll put in the description of the podcast. I'll put it Thank up you. on Twitter and on Facebook and Parlor and a couple other places where Instagram doesn't let links shine in the in the text, oh. you know, like oh. other okay. sources do. But Float, Parlor, all the other ones, you'll be linked up to high heaven. But um, <laughs> thank you. Well, spend like time talking to this asshole. Come on, this is fine. <laughs> but one, once again, where can people find if they want to check out your your seminars? And then, and then two, c c closing wise, you know you. You've touched on this a little bit about you waited to get married. You, you didn't, instead of chasing the feeling of the calling of being married, right? You waited until you, you actually found the right person, which society would say, oh, you waited too long or what, whatever the norms might be around it versus yeah. understanding you. So two things, one, once again, seminar where people can go to find it. And obviously there'll be links. And then, mm -hmm. and then two, uh, your closing thoughts, the value of patience when it comes to sex and relationships and understanding. Mm. Oh, great. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so the uh, my Facebook uh, page, I've made the post public about the event, so that's Stephanie Clark. Um, and I'm currently getting a new website design, so the old website is timelesstransitions.net, but that's not where I've got the current information. So I think the best place for the webinar for this Saturday is the Facebook page. Facebook? Okay, we'll set, yep. we'll set the links up and we'll, we'll get those going and I'll shoot them to you in advance uh, right after this to make sure I've got the right. Okay, thank you. Yeah, great. Um, and regarding patience, um, I don't think I was patient. I was, I wanted to be with my soulmate for so many years and I did so many things to try and meet the right man and I I can't say that it was patience but what I did is I gave up and in a very happy way not like it's never going to happen and I'm going to be miserable but like my life is so amazing that I'm so blissed out on my own life I love my teaching I love my work I love my friends I love my family I love my traveling I love oh I just love my life so much <laughs> and that was the that's when things started to shift when I really fell in love with my own life. So I don't oh, wait. think I was... So you learned to love yourself before mm -hmm. you had anyone love you. That's right. Shocker. That's deep. <laughs> 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 yeah. I had always heard about you've got to love yourself first. And I knew that it was true, theoretically, intellectually, but I didn't know what loving myself meant. And I think it was a really good thing for me to not have a lover for a number of years and to really be content with myself and learn to love me or live inside my own skin. I don't love myself all the time, but I can live inside my own skin these days. Sure. Yeah. And then well, a couple of weeks later, I met my husband after I had that revelation about being blissfully in love with my own life. I like it. One of, one of the things I've told my daughter to do and, uh, we try to do it as regularly as possible. And there are some days obviously I'm traveling and there are things that, but we really work on this. And it was funny because I didn't think it would be a big deal. So I challenge everyone to do this and Stephanie, I will challenge you to do this as well. For the okay. next week, you wake up in the morning, you walk in, you look at the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever disheveled state you might be in, pre or post coffee, inconsequential. But before you start your day, look in the mirror and say, I love you. Out mm. to yourself. It's weird how hard it was for me to get a young, like I thought it was hard for me to do. 
Because I'm thinking every the words are coming out of my mouth. I mean, every mistake I've ever made, everything I've done wrong. Right. Like you have no canvas of, of depth of wrongness. You've had a good life. She's still like, I don't feel comfortable doing it. And it makes me think, man, how important is it to love yourself? Mm -hmm. Obviously super important, right? Important enough that, and not to go crazy, but important enough to where it's not nefarious agents, but there are things that are trying to stop you from loving yourself. Mm -hmm. To a point where you're five years old and going, I don't feel comfortable doing this. At five, you don't feel comfortable looking in the mirror saying, I love you. I can see at 45, I can see at almost 50, right? You got a lot, you got years of baggage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it shows how hard it is to love yourself. And then also how important it is. Cause right, I mean, nothing, nothing easy is, is, is worth fighting for and everything hard that you fought for, you've got the scars to show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One more thing, I apologize, self-indulgent. You do a lot. You have, you've, you've worked on a lot of projects, helping people. You're, you're working on projects now, helping people. You've, you've got a multitude of different ways you've helped people. Mm -hmm. You've done a lot of media interviews sharing how you've helped people. Not knowing me and literally coming across from me, it's like talking during movies, guest request. And you're like, ah, let's roll the dice. <laughs> I didn't think that. Stephanie, roll yeah. the dice here. How was, how was, uh, how was the podcast for you? Uh, I loved it. I love talking to you. Um, we hardly ever talked about the movie, but I Which I'm, is fine. That's okay. We're talking over it, right? We're yeah, talking we'll talk over, over it. it. No, I loved your questions and um, I love getting to know you and very inspired to walk away from this knowing that you're a conscious dad who's raising a daughter to be a powerful being. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. More her than me, trust me. She is a powerful being and uh, I'm, I'm happy to... Uh, to try to, you know, blow some, uh, blow some wind into those sails and, <laughs> and, and make her better as, as she can be. Now is the famous time where everyone likes this ending more than they like the podcast usually, where she sings about the first time she took a poop by herself. She ran out on that patio and she's like, Dad, I did it. And I was like, I've got to get it on camera. Because I'm, I'm like, when? I won't, when I'll use this. Closing song for the podcast when I use it when she sings about doing a thing about a poop by herself. So we're gonna play that at the end. She just heard her laugh. She's excited about it. But Stephanie, I would honestly, I would love to have you back on the podcast again, especially when you have a seminar or a new thing coming up. But also just to talk with you, your insights, uh, and especially in these days when we're in insurmountable change, not just in the U.S. but globally, and we continue to make these changes, and some are leaps and some are, are tiny steps, but. Mm -hmm. You are, you are more than a voice of reason. You're a voice of, 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 of insight. And uh, I think any, uh, any father who has a, a daughter or, you know, obviously any man who's married or dating a woman, it's important. It's important to understand the, uh, for lack of a better term, the other sex. It's just yep. important. So I'd, I'd love to have you on again. Thank you for the time. You know, uh, I say this a lot. You go buy a banana, it turns brown. You're like, damn it. But guess what? You go buy another banana. You go get an avocado and you're like, I can't believe I missed that 30 seconds where it was ripe. Guess what? You go buy another avocado. Time is the one thing you don't get back. So the fact that you were generous enough to spend two hours talking with me and sharing about your book and, and your seminars and who you are and, and what you've done 
uh, it, trust me, it means more than you'll know to me. So for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful on, on two hours I cannot give back to you. So thank you so much. Uh, we will keep corresponding. I will, this will go live tomorrow, which will be 1110. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on 1111, I will shoot you the stats of the countries and the weird cities and the fun cities and everything in between who's listening. So. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Have Enjoy. a wonderful day. Have a wonderful evening. And um, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Oh, Goodbye, yeah. Hoffa. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye, Bye, Jason.